in that game, you actually had to put your models really close to each other. Overcharge the Ion Accelerator. It's time to forge the narrative. Hey everybody, welcome to Forge the Narrative. My name is Paul, your host. We are the Bell All Souls Podcast. I'm joined by Red Powell. Hello. Tanya Gates and Adam Camilleri. Hey everybody. Afternoon. How you doing? Welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us. We are fresh off of a Games Workshop US Open Series event in Tampa for Warhammer 40k. Actually, a bunch of other stuff happened there as well. Um, Age of Sigmar, Underworlds, uh, Kill Team, Hobby Classes, yeah, general good times around Warhammer. But uh, we had the pleasure of watching the entire tournament and some list that we did not expect i don't think we would have called uh them taking the top spots as a matter of fact there's a show called the warhammer meta chasers where they actually pick what they think to be uh the winning list from major tournaments uh, based on what the overall meta is evolving towards and two and i don't even think they would have picked uh, world leaders no. adept Soratos. i can definitely oh, tell yeah. you they would not they would not have picked those those two <laughs> factions <laughs> Uh, but they normally do get get it right or close. You should check them out. That's the Warhammer Meta Chasers if you were so inclined. Uh, but let's talk about a couple of these lists and the ones that we've highlighted. Uh, it's not the, the way the scoring went. They they were not you know this is not first and second. This is first and third. But these were uh, the two lists playing against each other in the finale for being the best general, the the undefeated player at the end of the event. And uh, we had uh, Jack Harpster playing World Eaters. Of all things. Of all things. Who would have guessed it? <laughs> so sorry to disappoint people. <laughs> well, maybe I'll, uh, I'll read out this list for us, and then uh, our World Eaters expert can give us the breakdown of what gives it success or what it's bringing to the table that, uh, that people should need to be fearful of. Because this is a list that you may see starting to pop up. Uh, because I think it's gone a little bit by the wayside, just how, especially on some of the different terrain systems that we have. Naturally, this system was using the uh, the Games Workshop terrain system, which is essentially the one out of the the, the, ba- the main rulebook with the the, the squared t- squared off terrain pieces and things like that. And uh, this list is pretty much built to really leverage what the what that terrain advantage gives you. The uh, the yeah, breakdown yeah, is, is so first up, you know, he's doing it right already. Angron, just slapping it in there. Azure Warlord, got to be, got to have him. The Red Angel, Lord Invocatus. Uh, a world eater on uh, lord on juggernaut with the favorite of corn enhancement and then a world eater master of executions with the berserkers glaive who we saw do some horrendous things yeah let's talk <laughs> uh, about that the value town this 105 points gets you so, uh, red you able to break it down for us what's the what's the package here what why is this world it was his master of execution the bee's knees yeah i mean it it, it is it's it's honestly from you know to your point Paul, from a distance, it is hard to reconcile, right? You're like, why is this 105 points able to do exactly what it does? And we've talked about this before. In fact, I, I've, I've shouted it from the rooftops uh, previously. When it comes down to it, this whole thing of a master of executions with the Berserker Glaive and what he's able to do, you're talking about the ability to just blend uh, characters as he comes up to it. And they, there's some variable damage associated with the berserker's glaive but it's just enough that it brings it up to uh 
honestly the next level. Uh, so the Berserker Glaive is a world leader's only add one of the attacks and damage characteristics of melee weapons equipped by the bearer. Each time the bearer ends a charge move, roll 1d3 until the end of the turn. Add the result of that roll to the attacks and damage characteristics of those melee weapons instead. So the Master of Execution uh, is, is armed with the Axe of Dismemberment. Uh, at five attacks, hitting on two plus, strength seven, neg two, uh, two damage apiece with precision and devastating wounds. So let, let me actually stop at the Master of Executions because there's a whole lot of value packed in this 105 points. Uh, with the Axe of Dismemberment, which is uh, melee, five attacks, hits on two plus, strength seven, neg two AP, two damage, devastating wounds with precision, and then you add on the Berserker Glaive on top of it. Yeah, and so and then with his rules as well, when you talk about his ability to target out characters with precision pick that apart and then with the the berserker glaive on top of it it's adding additional damage additional hits uh, he's able to essentially pick off I, i've i've taken him into uh, a unit or a character and i've expected him hands down every single time to really just wipe out whatever character i put him against it is very rare uh statistically that he fails in any regards of murdering whatever character i set him against which is awesome for to specifically for world eaters i mean we don't we don't have a lot of the other options as you've heard me whine about before but to be able to have this character specifically with the this equipment added in uh i, I can ensure that i am murking whatever character you've tried to hide away in a squad uh and he can honestly take on a lot of things as Especially if you don't have precision, if you don't have the ability to pick him off of a squad, putting him in a unit of 10 Berserkers, for example, uh, it, it, those are all a blade of wounds as far as I'm concerned, just to deliver this death blade. That is what it looked like. You had a 28 wound, uh, you know, that's whatever, right. a master execution. That's right. Exactly. Just to get him in there so that he can just cream through whatever. It's awesome. And the Berserker Glaive adds one to the attacks and damage characteristics of melee weapons equipped by the bearer. And then, and then in addition to that, each time this bearer ends a charge move, roll 1d3 until the end of the turn, add the result to the roll to the attacks and damage characteristics of those melee weapons instead. So can you even get supercharged when you're actually, no pun intended, doing the charges? Mm. We, uh, yeah. we we saw this Master of Executions, I, th I think, go into a 16-wound Mortarian and just murk him. Just murked him. It was it was pretty heinous, <laughs> just just unbelievable damage. When you um, start adding on things like the the blood, you know, the the blessings of corn and things like that, yeah, it, it yeah. immediately starts going out of control. Uh, no, rest of the list. Rest of the list is ten jackals, a unit of ten berserkers, which is where the master executions resided inside their very own rhino, lucky so and sos. Uh, three regular eight bound, a max unit of exalted eight bound. Uh, and then two minimum units of exalted airmen. So one, that's one unit of six, two units of three. And then two by two world eaters spawn. And it's just so funny that like for, for like so much of the games that we, we saw of this, me and me and Paul were just like gushing about how much we love seeing spawn on the table. Look at those spawn. Look at them go. Damn, soldier on, boys. Go for it. You, or whatever, for, form or whatever you were. Go get them. <laughs> What's the main difference between the regular eight bound and the exalted eight bound? Um, so the the regular eight bound actually have scout already built in, which is helpful in getting them up the field. Yep. Um, the exalted eight bound are a little tougher, uh, a little meaner in weapon loadout. Um, it's not. Uh, I'm pulling up the data sheets between those, but the the eight bound. So when you look at their rules, 
They have scouts. Of course, they carry blessings of corn. And then they have beacons of rage, which while friendly world eaters junior is within six of this unit, each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack, reroll a wound roll of one. If that attack targets a unit that is below half strength, you can reroll the you know the entire wound roll instead, which is a nice little bonus given mm-hmm. how they, they give that aura off. A lot of people will discount that. Uh, until all of a sudden you find out that they've chewed through certain things. Now they only get so much of the heavy weapons. Their 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 weapons are are not bad still, right? Because you're talking um, strength. Their their melee. They're hitting on threes. Their strength typically five, seven, or nine. If you take the lacerators, right? Varying damage between those three in that order of two, one, and three. So you can play around with that a little bit in their loadouts. But then when you get to the exalted eight bound. They've got weapons that are almost always, I mean, almost consistently two damage a piece. They do have the heavy chain glaive, which hits a little harder with the higher, more attacks, uh, weapon skills higher. AP is pretty high across the board for mm. the exalted eight bound. Uh, you look at their abilities, though. They don't, they don't have the uh, the same aura. They don't have the scout. Uh, they do have a six up feel no pain, and this this one specifically for the exalted eight bound, which a lot of people I think can take advantage of here. Each time an enemy unit within six inches of this unit is selected to fall back, that unit must take a leadership test. If that test has failed, that unit must must remain stationary this phase instead. And so with having a unit like that from the Exalted 8-bound, you can lock, uh, effectively lock in units in combat, which yeah. allows them to finish it off in, in probably your opponent's turn usually after that. It's very powerful. I will add an addition. There's an interesting configuration here because he's got one unit of minimum 8-bound and then three of Exalted 8-bound. So one of them already has Scout, but then he's got the Lord Invocatus here who has scout six and gives scout six to th- two friendly world eaters infantry units within six of him so right. essentially you have three units of eight bound scouting six inches at the start of the game uh, and this is one of the big reasons that this uh, this list is able to apply so much pressure early on and then of course you have sing shot options like getting extra movement out of rhinos advancing and charging this this army applies a lot of pressure very quickly yeah it's it's um i, I personally instead of using the the eight bound, I was putting uh, Lord Invocatus into two 10-man Berserker squads. So he was given the unit he was with, the scout, as well as giving it to another unit. But I can yep. absolutely see how taking the eight bound and they already having scout built in mm. gives you that benefit. And then you give it to two other units outside of him because he has scout as well. So he can just attach to eight bound and move with them, which is a nice vehicle to carry him forward. He's no slouch either. He hits pretty hard. Um, he can he can definitely do some damage on his own, and then to be able to to put that pressure with the other units, you know, you add in the the master of executions, which I again I did with a uh, berserker squad. Uh, it, it was a pretty some pretty intense pressure along with Angron, who is uh, I think awesome. It, it, it's not the same as it was in the previous edition by any means. I've talked about that before in regards of how blood tithe has gone away, but I've also and they they fixed it in in many ways. I thought of the the recent FAQ for World Eaters, where you can't do. Um, there's a stratagem that essentially after you kill a unit, you can do blessings of corn again. Um, there was they they fixed something in the timing that made it a little more reasonable. Um, however, that ability to bring Angron back with that with blessings of corn and whatnot definitely keeps a lot of pressure throughout the game i've 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 never been uh, i'm sure it will come and it will happen but i've never been in such an unfortunate position where i haven't gotten angron back at some point he does seem to be a 
you know, frequently return. Yes. And it's, it was much easier with blood tithe in a lot of ways. Um, but I, and, and so I like the variance that uh, the blessings of corn have changed over from, because I do mm. think there's some fairness to that, but it, it's still not impossible. It's not something where you're like, oh, well, I'm never going to get this. It's uh, no, I, you know, with a couple things. And of course I, I played with more corn berserkers so that I could manipulate the dice more often uh, in Blessings of Corn. And so that's probably like the give or take when you start looking at bringing in Exalted and uh, regular 8-bound. But at the same time, I, I, I can see the benefit of just going with it because there's there's other ways to adjust it as well. Uh, we'd seen in other general world leaders uh, with like a tons of jackals. This list only has, you know, one unit of jackals. Right. Uh, and and, and, so, and you end up going deeper. You know, but might sure. have been just coincidence. And, well, but and, and so with the jackals can have the icons of corn too, like the berserkers, which is what again allows you if you're within X of an objective, you can manipulate the blessings of corn. And so that's part of that ability to do so. Uh, which makes sense, you know, and and sometimes you don't need that many. Sometimes just picking up a couple dice and adjusting them or doing doing that. So it's it's uh there, there's a lot of flexibility to that, and the pressure can be overwhelming in a lot of cases for many players. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, if, if using I think I think we're starting to see the melee phase of the game getting more unlocked as people get deeper into the edition, uh, and definitely that was on display at this event uh, with people using though the really nice so the. The uh, at this edition, sorry, this um, event it was the the plexiglass blocks that GW uses, or the the pieces. They're pretty much just denoting the surface of the of the of the table that has t- the a terrain keywords attached to it. And uh, yeah, people using those to get massive board positions, massive pressure applied to their opponent. Uh, it was really good to see. Get a little staging ground. It kind of did open it up more. Yeah. That that style of terrain seems to lend itself to to uh, um, allowing more armies. I think to be functional on the tabletop, like if you're playing a salt based army, you at least have a little bit better shot than you would if you were yeah, into and, some other terrain formats. And it's not by, by no means is it making gun lines or shooting armies harder to wield. That just means that you can't just have a shooting army that stands still. You can have a, a decent portion of it, but some of it needs to be dynamic. Some of it needs to have a movement value or be able to come in from reserve or deep strike or go back in reserve and come back down later. You need to have some flexibility. You can't just, you know, <laughs> here are my 10 tanks. We deploy, and uh, we are very immobile. You know, that, that's a recipe for disaster in the current game. Yeah. Uh, the other list, the one that actually went undefeated eight rounds, Adeptosaurus, Jeffrey Kalodner. And I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, but playing seemed to be, you know, like a take one of everything type Adeptosaurus army. Yeah, I mean, there has to be something said for both of these lists that the... Uh... With the with the rebalance that GW did extremely well, uh, what a, what a month to five or six weeks ago, uh, they it's pe- people have were sleeping on certain factions that got a lot better, and now they're they're starting to be you know shown the error of their ways that these things were you know need need to be respected now, and people need to actually read what these indexes do because I do know a lot of people who didn't know to be afraid of world leaders charging them turn one, uh, and I certainly I talked to people who didn't know that Morven Vile and you know Paragon warsuits. Were will run straight through your entire army if you don't check them. Yeah, so this list has an Imagnifier uh, with Litanies of Faith, Junith Rita, a special character. I'm sorry, an epic hero. Let me get with the current town's yep, yep. Uh, terminology. Jeez, yeah, catch <laughs> up. <laughs> wow. Reach back. Uh, uh, Morven Vol, a Palantine, which we can, let's break open the Palantine here in just a little bit because uh, we saw that model get a lot of use. St. Celestine, one, two, three Battle Sister squads. And two emulators, 
one Retributor Squad, a Castigator, which, actually, sorry, was like two Castigators, two Mortifiers, uh, yeah, two, yeah. and then a unit of Paragon Warsuits, a unit of Sifram, uh, and ten Sisters Novitiates, and then it rounded out with the Calidus Assassin and two Death Cult Assassins. Yeah, really interesting uh, makeup there. It's got, when people talk about a lot of the, I guess the quote unquote con- competitive or meta sisters build, it's just got a phenomenal amount of minimum units in it. You know, small units of Crusaders, Death Cult Assassins, minimum units of sisters, etc. Um, this one eschews that and just kind of tries to take what's best, like the best things in the army. And it was shown to work really well. I suppose the min units here is actually using using the minimum mortifier units really well. Yeah, let's, I can't, let's see. Can you bring up the stats of the Palantine? Because that model seemed to be kind of like the center of the action, like almost every, even more than Morven Vol, uh, with the blade of Saint Eleanor and a plasma pistol. Yes, this is uh, this I guess is the uh, funnily enough is the Master of Executions equivalent for the Sisters of Battle. Um, so automatically, the blade of Saint Eleanor adds one to attack strength and damage of the bearer's melee weapons and if the bearer has lost one or more wounds you add two to the attack strength and damage and that just turns uh this very very uh small base small poise uh, price point model into an absolute behemoth so it'd be six attacks at strength six four damage that's a lot of damage i mean and and then you you know you go to i don't know if this is what you're you're talking about but also her rapturous blows Mm -hmm. which you know you discard uh, miracle dice and it allows it adds on that mortal wound in addition yeah. to the normal damage and lethal hits to um, her and her squad this is a phenomenal unit for the points here once again people just extracting a lot of value um, and finding the the little uh, propositions here that'll that'll do more than they appear to be on the paper like if you just looked at a palantine you'd be like oh yeah not bad you go scout six and some other bits and pieces and then you add the blade and then you add the ability so this is what we were seeing a lot um, the palantine and it was it was attached to a unit of 10 novitiates and they would go in and they would uh, usually kill something and then get absolutely murked like like drop kick punted into the sun because essentially it's just um, some toughness three models with very a very poor save but then through the use of stratagem and whatnot the palantine would get back up and automatically gets back up having lost some wounds and would be super saiyan literally supercharged would it, it's so wild um, i'll see if i can find the stratagem <laughs> Um, the last two games, our last two rounds of coverage on the stream uh, feature Jeffrey's list. And so if you're curious how the Adept Sortas played, what they played into, and just, you know, it's not just the list. The guy actually made just a ton of tactically, you know, brilliant moves mm. that allowed him to overcome some great players. Also, so yes, yeah, so some very bold moves that uh, risk-reward-wise didn't look um, like they would pay off uh, nine times out of ten, but this gentleman identified that if they did pay off, it was going to re- reward him in a phenomenal um, change of landscape, I suppose, a change of uh, polarity of the game, um, especially in the final round. The uh, ten berserkers and um, master of executions was bearing down on ten retributors and Morven Vile and a unit of paragons. Now, untouched, that unit of ten can possibly kill both of those units. And those are the two best units that the Sisters player had available to them. Instead of just accepting that, they were like, well, I guess I can Overwatch. And Morven Vile's unit uh, reels to wound with a bunch of shots, but still only hitting on sixes, very unlikely to do anything. But if I spike, and this this is one of my opponent's best units, would now go in, be unable to kill me, I would then kill them, and it would resolve in a huge um, backflip of circumstance. And exactly that happened. Eight out of ten 
berserkers died to the overwatch it was uh, an, uh i do have to say an absurd absurd quirk of dice it could have easily been four been five been six and that would have probably been more reasonable but eight meant that all of a sudden the momentum completely shifted because the gentleman decided to take a chance and see if the dice rewarded and it was the right play it turned out and all because carried the day almost off that play carried the day yeah and i don't want to like construe that his dice were hot because we were watching the dice and they were most certainly not hot for most of the game (laughs) but but the thing is doesn't matter if the dice are hot it's taking the opportunities that the dice that that do you when you're given them and you know um if you take every opportunity to swing the game in your favor because they're always going to be five or six if you take all of them the likelihood one of them is going to pay off that's a, that's a uh, great because point. and if you put yourself in the right position so we're not going to say that he was oh, just because he's lucky he put himself in a position where dice could change the outcome of the game and if you do that three or four times five times six times in a game every time the dice are in a position to skew in your favor and one does and you're able to capitalize on that swing well that's that's good generalship that is straight up the the tenets of the great game that we play. And a comment on the list building here too is that you know we t- we talked about a bunch of units and he does have a bunch of units in here, you know so he was able to play the missions really well and had a lot of smaller things that could kind of fit into you know, maybe tight corners, score yep. points like the Death Cult Assassins, the the Calidus Assassin, and you know the fact that no one unit you know granted the Paragons and Marvel you don't necessarily be careless with them. But he can get a little cavalier with one unit, and it wouldn't, you know, take away mm. his whole potential for interacting with the game if something happened to Great. him. And just some great plays, you know, just saw some really good plays. After that, that combat you were just talking about, those um, berserkers going to the Paragon war suits, they mix it up. Paragons are alive. Actually, Paragons had to go up and and move to get on a sticky objective that uh, was claimed, and they had to go and remove that. So basically, had to kind of get out there in the middle of harm's way, and the only one that could, the only model that could reach that objective, at least by our read, was a wounded model. So their opponent, also recognizing that, uh, threw some damage on that unit, forced another wound, pulled them back off of that objective. And kept the objective. Yeah. Kept the objective, kept it in the game, but then it gave Jeffrey an opportunity to charge because he no longer needed to be on that and then ended up getting a pretty good charge. Uh, You know, like, you know, with Miracle Dice and and, and just some some recognizing that when one door shut, another door opened. You know, some great play on both sides. It was actually some wonderful games to, to watch and to talk about over the course of the weekend and just kind of fortunate we were there to see it absolutely that was one of the, the great gifts about doing what we do we get to see incredible legendary making moments uh and i mean, I, I remember i've got a brain full of these now and it's a really rewarding and hopefully people joined in at home or if not they can go back and watch the vod while it's still up and uh get a look into some of these incredible moments from our great game again and one um, thing i like about this it seems like the jeffrey's playing for the love like he actually named all the characters and everything in his list you know he has, he has a narrative he has a theme his list was built with purpose and you know talking to him face to face he said you know he'd spent a lot of time over the last several years getting this army ready and mm. brought it in more ways than well, one yeah he's crafted his own narrative uh which if you if you remember the name of the show that you listen to right now we respect that highly <laughs> yeah this, this is like everything coming together it's like sometimes yeah. we use that whole forge of the narrative ironically uh, but this is not ironic at all. It's actually no. <laughs> has a, a cool uh, narrative and theme to his entire army. And then, you know, had to had to go through some of what we you know, what we know to be great players on the scene that have participated in lots of tournaments and have lots of accolades and kind of came away as the only undefeated over the course of the weekend. And that was no easy feat. Oh. So uh, so just just hitting a transition there. 
Was it was it, was it, was it Warhammer Day or something? Did, did something else happen on this weekend? That was another <laughs> yeah. This weekend Warhammer Day, like forty years of Warhammer forty k. Is that is that right? This is like this is the fortieth year. Forty years. That's right. Uh, I know I couldn't resist the Warhammer Day model too, like the the new League of Votan. Like it's like I know I love the look of that army, and I feel like it's like one day I will I will do one a full army. So I need to have all the characters. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, this completionism, uh, you know, stacking up in me, but hey, whatever. Uh, but the, also the reveals from the weekend. So there was some absolutely stellar stuff that came out of this. Two of them for 40K, uh, that being uh, Old Stilts McGee with, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, the the re- resurgent uh, Stormlord in, um, with uh, Imotech getting a new model. I've seen some consternation about Mr. Stilts, and I have to say I love him. <laughs> I cannot own that model because it will break within about 20 to 30 seconds. But I love yep, yep, yep. I love how silly amazing it is. It is, I mean, no one designed that thinking this is a cool, serious model. They designed it knowing exactly what it was and how funny, hilarious, steampunky, weird, admech. It's so admech. It could not be more Adeptus Mechanicus. You think the idea is that it just like hangs out behind a wall, pneumatics itself up, takes a yeah. couple shots? It's it's. Go go gadget! It's Inspector Gadget Man. How, how can you not love it? Yeah, uh... <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I know. Oh, there we go. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna be a Debbie Downer. I'm I'm just gonna preface this by saying I'm not like the aesthetics of uh, Ad Mech are not my thing. Um, so that could be adding on to the fact that I just don't understand this model at all. <laughs> well, sorry everyone <laughs> remains to be seen that was cool though that we got some information on like a couple of, I, know, I know the codex roadmap is i think somewhere out there um, uh but it's even if they've talked about it i, I do think with everything going on and whatnot it, it doesn't necessarily stay at the forefront of all of our minds and so oh i have forgotten kinda, whatever that is by the way if exactly, it's out there i could tell exactly. you where it is and i don't know what it's supposed to be 100 <laughs> percent. and so to be able to see it i admit i was surprised to see uh, a, a rendition of emotech along with you know the the Necron Codex being highlighted, so I, it was pretty cool. Um, was Imotech a fine cast before? There was a yeah. fine cast version. I'm glad that I have a older pewter or you know the old whatever metal model version of him. But uh, the new rendition, they 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 did him justice. I think it's good. I like yeah. it. Yeah, and it's uh, it's going to be plastic, so right. it's mm. upgrade right there. I can't say enough good things about the homage GW is paying with the the new takes on the old models. They're like just doing them all so well. Um, and Imotech, it's, I'm going to be interested to read if there's any new fluff developments in the new codex for Imotech because he's the foil to the Silent King in the fluff. Um, he's opposed to um, uh, Sarakin's, you know, reestablishing the dynasties and bringing everyone back together. He's like, hold on, mate. I've been putting this thing back together for like hundreds of years. You don't just get to sweep in and say, oh, look at me, I'm back. You failed us and bailed. He and, was big uh, I medicine respect that a lot. The, in, the, in the books before, right? I mean, he was the guy that everyone took. I mean, they called down lightning on units and stuff yeah, like that. Like, yeah. it was super popular. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, there's, there's a couple of good books um, where he fights against the Black Templars. Yes. Um, you know, he, he, took he, off, uh, he took off one of Hellbreak's arms. I believe. That's right. That's right. That's right. Like Darth, like Darth Vader style. And then he, uh, you know, conveniently just teleported away. Like it was pretty frustrating. Nemesis in that book. In that book, he also 
it's funny and they play into it or they used to or have in previous versions of the game where orcs like foil his grand strategy essentially orcs are are some kind of anti you know whatever to what he's trying to do and mm. honestly you read into uh, i i finished recently listening to the audiobook of uh, the Infinite and the Divine, which is Orokin versus Trazin. And there is mention, and you know, they, they talk about uh, Emotech and Sawtech dynasty as a whole. And like, you know, it's, it's primacy and power. It's like the equivalent. It's almost, you know, the Sawtech dynasty is almost like the Ultramarines of the Necrons. Mm. Uh, at least it has been in many uh, versions of the game up to this point, remains very much a, a forefront faction. Yeah, for for Necrons right now in this edition, apparently, given that they've now you know brought forth this new model, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. You think that rivalry and stuff will make its way back into like the detachments and that kind of stuff? Um, uh, we'll see. Well, uh, you know, like, it'd be interesting if it was one of those things where like if Emotech's in there, you can't have the Silent King or something like that. That'd, that'd be, be cool. Pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Just curious, and you know, sometimes it, it makes its way into that. And uh, also, Space Marines came out. Officially, this past weekend. Oh, by the way, just Space Marines. Yeah, you know, yeah. A bunch of new models. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no privilege. There's no privilege there. It's a, a that's a myth. I hope everyone got their aggressors. It's a... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, another new beautiful uh, Age of Sigma. Um, what are the dudes? What are the Still Space bad? Marines of? Yeah, no, the oh, space oh, no, the, Stormcast. The, yeah. the Stormcast. I'm so sorry. Um, another beautiful Stormcast model on a dragon-esque miniature. Uh, and I do have a gripe here. Uh-oh. And I know the Stormcast are the Space Marines, and I just said that uh, Space Marine privilege is a myth, and that was tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but it seems like all the cool aesthetics of other factions have all been given to Stormcast Eternals. <laughs> Let's put them on the dragons. That could have that could have been for the the zombie dragons or the dragons or the Noden dragons being their own faction. Let's put them on the cheaters and panther like Leonine ones that could have been given to you know <laughs> elves or whatever. In fact, we're going to take all the aesthetics of every cool animal so that elves have to have bovines. That's all that's left for them. They can just have the bovines. Um, <laughs> I I can't say anything bad about the miniatures though. They are utterly beautiful. No doubt, right there. That's, that's tell you what. This is like a good time. Let's take a break. We'll come back. And there's another thing that I talked about over the course of the, that that preview. And I think we are going to have some feelings about it. Hold tight, everybody. FTN is brought to you by Discount Games Inc. Please visit them at www.discountgamesinc.com. And don't forget to ask Jay about ways to save even more on your hobby projects. Hey everybody, we are back. Special very much thank you to our patrons on Patreon and the sponsor of this show. We could not be doing it without y'all. It means a whole lot. We really appreciate it. The thing I was alluding to, saying we might have feelings about, is we got a little bit more information about the old world. Finally, we have a... Well, I've we've known it's been coming for multiple years, but we didn't know when. Now, on the live stream, they said, I can't remember if they said what month, but they definitely said it would be one of the first releases of 2024. I lied, been the first quarter of 2024 at some point. And that just has me so ready. I am just, I'm losing my mind. I'm already just lining up what I'm going to buy, what I'm going to paint, what schemes. I spent like two hours yesterday looking at different like Blanchitsu kind of uh, old worldy schemes because that's the kind of a, a way of a, a theme or a style of painting I've never done that I want to give a go. And I wouldn't mind like trying to apply it to maybe some um, 
uh, ogres, possibly. And Ooh, so, nice. yeah, dude, I'm so pumped. You have no idea. Uh, you probably actually you probably do have an idea now because I'm so, so <laughs> riled up. But uh, is anyone else here as excited as me? And what do you guys think of the the new Bretonian models they've they've uh, alluded to or shown us? Uh, with the idea that you know we got to see some of the older models, you know, and hear that they're coming back. Um, I, I am I like that, and I also think it gives hope to folks that may have been hanging on to those models for a while. Uh, yep. So like you know it was cool when Age of Sigmar came out and the transition or change that they had with the 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 bases, right? But I admit, as I just kind of I mean I, I have corn demons and I played those in 40k and I also now play them in in Age of Sigmar because um, that all works out. The translation's not bad. Mm-hmm. I have Soul Blight Grave Lords, where I honestly, I've converted many of my uh, undead, my vampire lord stuff. I, I I changed some of it, and then of course when uh, that, you know, the, the board game of uh, Warhammer and the the uh, Curse City mm-hmm. came out, like, you know, with the zombies and the skeletons, like, there's too much good stuff not to use those as the new models. Um, however, I'll tell you, I've been sitting here waiting for Dark Elves to come back around, and they have not hit Age of Sigmar in such a way. Like, they're in Warcry, but they're they're the newer version, of course. And so I still have all of my Dark Elves. Uh, some of it, I, 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 they're still on square bases. I'm ready. I got it. I've got cold <laughs> ones. I've got crossbowmen. I have multiple Reaper bolt throwers. I've got it all. I, I can't wait. I'm super excited. There were some peasants in the Bretonian range that I decided I wanted about the time they went unavailable because I wanted to, to convert them to be like inquisitorial retinue. Yep. Stuff. And I was very excited to see they were coming back. So, you know, maybe maybe get to live that dream. So after after letting this settle for a little bit, there is definitely I do I, what they're doing with the Bretonians is essentially they're giving us um, new knights on foot. So as in um, essentially knights of the realm or questing knights, but on foot, which they look absolutely gorgeous. We've got a new Pegasus Lord and or Baron and or uh, what are they? What are they? Anyway, a new character on Pegasus who also looks absolutely fantastic. Different head sculpts for uh, and different weapon loadouts and stuff. Can also be a, a battle standard bearer, which is very important to um, in Warhammer Fantasy and sticking your army together. But they're not giving us new uh, basic knights and they're not giving us new peasants. Now, I don't want them to do this with every single range because not all fantasy ranges were created equal. We know this. Their fantasy ranges got refreshed over sometimes over decades. And so you have uh, a, some ranges of models um, which all look fantastic. The, the Dark Elf one is uh, is one of the and, and the High Elf ones are both um, ranges that have extremely good sculpts pretty much across the board. Almost you can almost get away with not replacing any of those or giving any any particular new models necessary. Um, but there are some where this is uh, possibly not the case. Uh, for case in point, there is really no need to ever, ever reprint the old uh, fantasy zombies. Please, let, let us never go back. <laughs> we, have, we have moved forward as a people, as a community. Let's never do that again. I got a lot <laughs> of plague zombies, you know, that are built off of that, that sprue. Uh, are, are you happy? They're, they're a little, yeah, they're a little cartoony. And honestly, yeah. they were sometimes harder to put together than even the old Necron models. And that's saying something. 
Dude, it, yeah, it was. Pre- I have I have uh, about thirty or forty of them, and they. I look at them and I'm like, yeah, they they are from another era of uh, of the game of design of of everything. But in saying that, like, I don't think that the um, the Bretonian peasantry units that we're still getting that are getting refreshed look particularly bad. I think they look good. They have they they sit the aesthetic of what they are very well, um, and also I, I like the fact that they're kind of diminutive now by today's standards, and possibly with the new knights and stuff, they're going to be quite a bit larger because firstly well they'll be armored and secondly they're nobles so they're way better fed <laughs> generally will you know should be a little more robust physically than uh yeah your uh, your men at arms who's literally just old bob from around the corner with his uh with his pitchfork are you do you feel like the maybe the scale of the minis in the game may also help fuel that nostalgia a little bit is it i do i do i mean they've already told us that they want the game to be played on larger base sizes which i'm i'm all for uh, in particular there was nothing more frustrating than like you building a unit because you love it and you're just loving how things are going together and then you go to rank them up and you're like <laughs> nothing no, quite i did have a minotaur good. one time that i just like this minotaur has no friends he doesn't yes. sit next to anyone. No, does not not play well with others. He has to face another direction in the rank because that's the only. He has to be in there backwards. Um, and so I think bigger bases uh, is good for the game, or generally a scale up in bases. Plus, there was there was something to be said for um, even at, even playing like a competitive level fantasy event, uh, you know, in in eighth edition at the end of things, um, you'd be playing on a you know a six by four or the 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 scale of of everything else of the game at the time and um it would seem like there'll be just so much board with nothing on it and you'd end up fighting in like maybe half or a third the table would actually see action whereas you know um you you could just make the game a little bit bigger on the same size table albeit i wouldn't be surprised if we're playing on if, if they're going to downsize the the boards to be played like you know so fantasy 40k everything's played on the same size table but that is total no idea uh, if that's actually going to happen but either way i wouldn't mind just more of the table being taken up by miniatures like it, it would, would feel good as I long as there's still can... enough room to maneuver which i really think there would be yeah i think we can get a little bit into into like wish listing or conjecture like we know nothing about the rules at all we don't know if they're what they're picking a uh, an addition and going from that we don't know if they're uh you know revising things like they did for uh, horse heresy we know nothing mm-hmm. we know absolutely nothing but you mentioned like board size and horse heresy still plays on a six by four that's true yeah they still play on the same size and i if if fantasy was to be the same i would love to have a little bit bigger models bigger miniatures or bigger footprint of units um because yeah like i said it, <laughs> you'd play against dwarves in fantasy and they would deploy their entire army in like a 20th of the six by four. And then your entire game would be running everything that you have as fast as you can towards that 20th of the six by four. And you're like, why is this? Why are we playing on this side, this size table? We could have played on an A4 piece of paper. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I had that, that same experience, but I That's also played fair. a lot of armies that did run right, right at you, you know? So yeah, maybe I was just too blinded by getting there. But the missions, yeah, whatever. It's actually been a bit. Uh, if I had to cast my my memory in the Wayback Machine, I think I had the most enjoyment with the army style that I like to play, probably in fifth or sixth edition. Uh, yeah, sixth edition seems to be uh, much like uh, fourth and somewhat the start of fifth edition is agreed to be. Well, up until recently, was agreed to be the the golden age of 40k. Sixth edition was is, is currently agreed to be the golden age of, of Warhammer Fantasy, um, where everything kind of felt as fantasy as it has ever been. Um, uh, it was relatively balanced between factions for a, a decent portion of the edition. Uh, units were a good 
size that didn't feel too big didn't feel too small nothing felt like it was just a blowover because there was some i mean i i only played the the end of seventh edition and all of uh, the vast majority of eighth edition of warhammer fantasy and there was some things even then um even with old eyes that identified was just being a little bit too good like cannons were too accurate um and there was like everyone's like super super spell could just end up being a world ending spell in in a matchup like i i played ogres yeah 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 everyone everyone kind of had that one ace unit that you know every now and then could just rock paper scissors out your opponent and just be invincible um help it abomination steam tanks um anything with banner of the world dragon may high elves absolutely rest in absolute hell <laughs> Dang. that Strong. banner dude, oh my god that banner was the worst <laughs> um but yeah everyone kind of had their their one super overpowered thing and every now and then you would just have the rock papers like like i said i played ogres and if i played against an opponent that had purple sun uh there was just a three quarters chance that my game would be over turn one because they could just purple sun my best unit and it would just uh two-thirds of the unit would just instantly die no so i'm sure they had their eyes on that kind of stuff as just a potentially unless they're just again we don't know they could be just importing an addition and, and going from there but you you uh, mentioned something earlier about how banners are a thing for anybody who did not play the rank and file version of the stuff in fantasy maybe that's something to talk about for a minute in that game you actually had to put your models really close to each other you didn't you weren't spread out skirmish style the unit coherency was right next to your your buddy uh and in ranks so your ranks had to be four or five wide and you could go deep you know as much as you want and you had to fill up the ranks depending on the width of how you decided to do your units and um, when you had to go and check your leadership and how, what, what happened in combat, the angle at which you got charged also mattered. So if you were charging from the side or charging from the rear, that um, lowered your ability to withstand that charge when you started adding in all the wounds that you took. Uh, but things like banners and musicians in the unit yep. helped you uh, withstand that or endure that a little bit. Um, yeah, it was a lot of it was about how many, you know, how many ranks you had, how much damage you did, how much damage they did, and then you'd work out who'd won the combat, and then you know one side would win, one side the other. Then you'd have to, and it was it, it was a game that was. I always say that um, fantasy was was my game because it was the perfect game for entry level, as in you could play it at a very basic level uh, for great enjoyment, but it just kept getting deeper the further you went down. The nuances of of reforming, how many, uh, what ranks you decided to deploy your army in, like how many deep, how many wide, for which matchups, um, positioning, uh, if you decided to put anything in reserve, or if you had outflankers, infiltrators, scouts, etc., vanguard, sorry, um, and it was just a such an incredible game. That's what I want this to this to capture. But uh, yeah, it is very very different to 40k and a lot of the other games we're playing at the at the moment. Like you know, very different to actually actually it's it's very different to anything being played in the current you know games workshop range of games. Yeah, the I think would correct me if I'm wrong. This is memory, but the ranks that you had actually improved your your leadership by one. Each rank you had past the first gave you essentially another point of leadership. It did. Uh, it played it was, into that. Yeah. To a degree. Yeah, it was another combat. Uh, it was another point of combat resolution. So there we go. Wasn't uh, Skaven? Because um, everyone had different special rules, of course. Uh, the Skaven army, you know, you want to have numbers. We f- only feel brave in numbers. So you're absolutely correct. The number of ranks they had would denote how many a bonus to leadership. And so if they if they outnumbered you, they felt more brave, and that was a very thematic element. But if you were in combat with somebody and you had three ranks and they had uh, one rank, they only had five people in the front. You'd have two additional combat resolution at the end to decide who wins the combat 
So even if they beat you up more than you beat them up, if you still outnumber them, you still have a, a numerical advantage, and therefore that's represented in in who's won the combat. Yeah, there we go. So those little things you you actually had to pay attention to this stuff. You had to you know protect your ranks when necessary, use them when necessary. It was uh, that was it. But you had to march these formations around the field um, and kind of very deliberate ways like you had to your turning yeah. turning radius radiuses you had you know, yeah. like all kind of stuff and I'm, I'm not describing it well but i actually enjoyed that part of the game because it added some like a skill check sometimes that it was one of the ways you could t- truly you know outplay your mm. opponent and i've never played a game even though we even though to this day every game that i think all of us play movement is the most important phase fantasy you lived and died by your execution of the movement phase it it really was uh so much of so much of the game so much of your victory is was was won in the movement phase yeah and then of course getting the charge sometimes you get people charged in the flanks and that was always brutal or the rear even worse yes absolutely um and then of course you had your, your your magic phase which i suppose was very similar to the eighth edition magic phase that we had where you would have a, you would have a pool of dice i would have a pool of dice and we had to kind of out, our 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 psychers had to kind of outmaneuver each other to try and get you know i would i would roll some dice and try and manifest a, a spell and then you would roll some dice to deny me um and that's how it was for for most of my experience of fantasy i'm not sure if we ever had an edition that was simple that was that but that was always that was always the mini game like that was the game within the game which spells did you try and actually cast which ones did you throw to try and get your opponents to use some of their dice um and which ones would you just try and force through because it was make or break so some of the things that i did like about fantasy battle you know were the things about the the maneuvering and and how to charge and uh of course the the fact that you could you know have chaos lords with lots of attacks that would go in and make life difficult for, yeah. <laughs> for well a big thing to note is the charging like charging was uh, a huge risk reward because when you charged your opponent you got more combat res you got um then you got a bunch of other bonuses especially if you were wielding like a spear or a lance you got bonuses to your strength um and then um but if you fail, so when you charge, you would roll a number of dice, uh, depending on you know if you were on a on a horse or on a monster or on foot, and then you would add your movement characteristic to that. And if that number was enough to connect with your opponent, you made it in. But if it wasn't, you would stumble forward an amount of inches, and then be easier to charge for your opponent in their turn. So you wanted to like either make big risk, high reward charges that would not expose you if you failed. Or get close enough that you couldn't miss, and you're just going to go straight in when it when it mattered. It, oh man, you get, I'm getting so jazzed up, guys! I can't. <laughs> oh. Yes, let's go. Now, we don't know if any of this stuff is making it in. We're simply talking about what was, uh, what was, you know, and that's what the old world was, baby. It's, this is this yeah. is the world that was. <laughs> that's a good point. There we go. We can get away with that. It's uh, it's it's good. But I, you know, I uh, so so the models that I did have that I that I kept have been you know transferred onto round bases. So I think when uh, when this comes out, get into this, it might be an excuse to you know revisit some old models. You know, the rebasing thing maybe it seems to be the mm. hallmark of addition changes and new games. <laughs> well, this is this is the thing though. Uh, people who have their models on round bases now just put just just put them on a a tray. Just put them on a movement tray. I don't think it's going to matter. I don't think anybody's going to blink. At that, in fact, they, there should. They, I want there to be plenty of people who are who are building uh, Age of Sigma and Fantasy armies at the same time and get get double duty out of both of them. Uh, because it, it, I mean, you could even build a thematic um, 
uh, movement tray because this, this is what we used to do we used to we didn't just used to rank things up on the table and then push them around hoping they stick together in formation we used to have trays and some people used to have magnets on their trays or some people used to have foliage and decorative effects and there's another way to personalize your army and so if you if that just happens to be on a circle not a square i mean try and get them pointing in the same direction but apart from that i, don't, I really yeah. could not care and you know there was one of the criticisms of the game in the past was that you had to build models simply just to be flanks and to be removed as casualties you know like yeah uh and what what some players did including myself is like i built decorations for my units that would take up you know some amount of the interior real estate yeah unit fillers which is great is another great way to you know add, add a, put a put a bigger base inside your thing so it counts as four five six ten models inside there but it's something unique and cool and thematic and another way you can personalize uh your your army your force so like for for the undead i had mausoleums in the middle of the units that's cool yeah, so it looked neat. Yeah, like Cauldrons of Blood and that kind of stuff for well, mm. other Chaos Warriors sometimes. Although you never had too many Chaos Warriors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but it, just the game looks so good. I, I appreciate it so much. And the the blocks and rank and file were something that, you know, there's there's a couple other game models that have tried to adopt it. And some that have been successful in their own way of, of approaching it. Uh, but it, it's, I, I do, I am happy to see it go back to that if that is the case with uh and i assume by looking at the bretonians and the fact that they're on square bases that that means we are looking at a return to that yeah i'm just real anxious to see how it all comes together rules wise you know and we can talk about a little bit about some of the changes from when they when we released the horse heresy stuff is that you know there was very much some of this the um like the mechanics and the way the format of the rule books and everything from uh, from seventh edition, but they added all kind of things that really make the game way more dynamic and exciting, like with the reactions and some of the other stuff. And so I'm curious as to is that the approach they'll take with the old world? Not, but I, I found the last world exciting too. Like that game was also exciting, but you know maybe from a, a different perspective, are you know, are they going to look at this and see a way to kind of tune it up to make it a little bit more modern? Um, but then keep the core concepts of like the the ranks and, and the files mm. and, the, and the movement and the 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 different style of combat still active. Sure. We don't know. Short answer, I guess. We don't know. Um, real quickly before we wrap things up, is that in just four weeks there will be the Grand Narrative and World Championships of Warhammer coming up. Uh, the I think the the what the third weekend in november yes yes so i think starting on the the 16th or 17th of november and running through to uh the 19th where um over 46 countries will be sending delegations players to come play in a series of games of kill team underworlds age of sigmar warhammer 40,000, all playing for a combined score for their country to see which country will be the world champion of warhammer no, it's the first of its kind, and I'm I'm really curious to see how it's all going to going to come together. Oh, I I can't wait. This is going to be this is going to be an incredible incredible weekend. First of its kind. We're going to crown. And what what is absolutely mind boggling about this is, is that akin to the Olympics or several other competitions around the world, you're not just there representing yourself. When you've won one of these golden tickets throughout the last twelve months, you are going to be there representing your home nation. And the 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 how well you do in your respective event, that be that you know Age of Sigma, Kill Team, Underworld, or 40k you will contribute points to your nation's score so you know you come second in painting or you know first in 
in generalship in underworlds, you will contribute a number of points to your home nation. Uh, then your nations will get ranked and come out as, you know, some part of a victory, some part of a score. You'll find out where you are in the lexicon of greatness of, of, of Warhammer. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, you know, all the countries from five different continents, like that is, that's what was the line that that's almost all of them. That is, that is that's almost all of them. <laughs> I'm uh, really interested to see if certain games are more regional, like if hmm. the better players are sort of contained in one region, you know, like maybe all of the best kill team players are like, in East Asia or something. Really interested yeah. to see those kind of stats after the fact. I absolutely want to know that. That that's that's something I've always uh, always thought that everyone kind of has their uh, their own identity of the game, and people play the game different re- in, in, to different levels regionally, or with different flavors and different you know expectations to different levels. And we're going to find out. Like there could be some absolute killers hanging out in South America that we do not know about, and they're going to rock up and on the world stage, you just take some names in various games and and or Southeast Asia or you know anywhere in the world. Because I mean, as analysts, I mean definitely I can speak for myself and Paul. We look at the game from you know as as many parts of the world as we can shine a light and there is a lot of 40k that gets played that doesn't get talked about and so sorry and that's just 40k let alone the myriad of other games systems out there yeah what we saw from last year's finale is that there uh some amazing kill team players in spain tended to your point and it, it seems like they may be some of the best in, best in the world there and gonna see be curious if they can come uh, to this finale and play and how it impacts their score for their country. Like they could get by with having, you know, fewer or, you know, maybe not as accomplished eight Sigmar players because their kill team score is holding them up in the rankings. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's really neat. Yeah. I can't, I just can't wait to see at the end, like once all the dust settles, we can take a look and sort of regionally break down what's kind of happening in the scenes overseas. It's going to be really exciting. Yeah, uh, I want to meet some of these players that I would have never had an opportunity to meet before. Yeah, me too. There's just going to be so many people there who would never get to mix in any other place ever. And yeah, it's going to be so good to see because everyone everyone thinks they're the bestest. Everyone thinks that the way they play the game is the most perfect way. And guess what? We're going to find out. <laughs> well, a lot of these players who have won their way here, you know, they're they've you know won a bunch of games in a row. They're going to get here. Yeah. They're going to be playing a bunch of other people who have won a bunch of games in a row. And you might find people with that might go five zero, six zero, eight zero in their in their in environment. They come and do and go, you know, zero and three and five. I'm also really excited because I feel like there's going to be a lot of really amazing players at this particular event who financially maybe wouldn't be able to compete on that stage in any other format. So I feel like there's going to be a lot of fresh faces and people that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Cannot, cannot wait. Uh, this is also happening, uh, you know, with the, with being the backdrop for the grand narrative. Of course not to be, I mean, this will not take away any shine from the grand narrative. I am, in fact, just as hype for the grand narrative as I am for the the competitive mixing pot that we're about to see. Because everything that you guys have told me from last year, it sounds just the most incredible thing. I don't often get like that fear of missing out, but seeing all of the cool stuff that was happening in the grand narrative last year was like, I am absolutely missing out on this <laughs> i wish that someday i can go and experience this this is amazing yeah red was there last year i uh, had some uh, oh. 
participated in some of the great moments. Man, I mean, last year, the, the grand narrative, they did such an amazing job that I'm really excited to see what they come up with this year. And then also, I mean, I to some of it, you know, I got to see a lot of the, the, the tournament that went on last year from the sidelines. But the grand narrative as an event was so good that it's absolutely worth uh, doing what I can. And, and then of course, you know, being a, a, a native to Georgia and Atlanta, I'm really excited to see it there. And so I'll be able to go back, um, see some family as well as be able to attend the grand narrative that weekend, really looking forward to it last year. Some of the stuff that happened, I mean, the, the, there were, uh, GW had cosplayers. They the, the environments were, were so engaging, um, and, and it all resulted in an epic battle, you know, that I've talked about before, and and their their way to stack on the different games, and so I'm really excited to see what they do because last time they had Kill Team going on, um, and Kill Team contributed to the narrative in one way, and then different games as they played, and, and so I, I'm I'm really excited to see it. Games Workshop is going to bring a lot of coverage of the event to, to the streaming. We also heard on the stream they're going to also going to have. Uh, French coverage and Spanish coverage on a couple of different channels. So there's going to be lots of different ways for people to see what's going on with it, follow the event, follow players, uh, follow countries. You know, it's like, well, it's, it's going to be great to follow players. The countries are the really the like the primary focus here. That's what's going to be coming away with the gold, mm. silver, and bronze. And uh, yeah, if there's if there's not players, you know, you might want to tune in and see how your country's doing. Yeah, that is uh, uh, going to be a big weekend. And as we lead up to it, as we get more information, we'll bring you as much information as we can because I think this is something people want to watch. And if if only for the spectacle of it all, because this is going to be a blast. Uh, and that's our show this week. We have, uh, you know, congratulations to uh, everybody that placed at the U.S. Open Series, you know, and got to see some of those games. And then two lists just jump out that, again, I don't think anyone would have picked, which is now granted the skill of the pilots has a lot to do with it. Like great players doing doing great things can take list and be successful faction experts you know those are real things uh they can make a difference uh but you know pointing out the list they still these players still took lists that we did not necessarily expect to to be there and the ones in the semifinals was eldari which i think you know people could still assume are going to do well but also chaos space marines those are lists mm. you know on the rise yeah chaos look like they're the new uh possibly the new big bad or the unknown big bad on the rise because by now everyone kind of knows what eldari's bringing to the table and the the absolute hate they can throw you away by different means but uh chaos space marines is definitely one to watch out for yeah so the meta is in a, a thriving place right now with you know lots of things that are viable so if you were uh, kind of on the fence about getting out of the game store wanting to roll some dice it's a great opportunity uh, to jump into it because a lot of people are trying to figure it out there's a lot of different stuff out there and whatever your list is might be one of those different things but until then certainly let us know how things are going uh we'll be back next week we'll bring you more coverage uh of you know or at least i the uh, what we know about the coverage leading up to the grand uh finale and the world championships of warhammer because you know, I, I'm very excited about that. I think this is mm -hmm. the first of its kind and, you know, seeing all these players come and compete and then with the grand narrative and then just the hobby side of things and, and it being in my hometown, like, oh, my heart is beating. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. See ya. Bye, everybody. Except
tenets demand you tune in next week for the greater good, of course.